Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Bridgewater Church. It's so exciting to be together. I'm Pastor Drew Wilkerson, and wow, what an incredible opportunity we have to dive into God's Word together again today. So, if you're ready, we're continuing our study of the book of Esther. It's an incredible book. There's so much going on. God was inspiring and empowering this young woman who had become queen of Persia to be a life-changing world changer. Did you get that? A life-changing world changer. And it's exciting to me. And this morning, the message that we're coming to in chapter 4 is really about God's timing. In fact, I was thinking about how timing must be perfect for things to happen in a way that brings glory and honor. You know what? I'm starting over. Okay. Good morning, friends. Good morning, Bridgewater Church family. It's great to be with you. I'm so excited that we can share together. And my prayer is that you're ready to dive into God's Word again this morning. We are still in our study about Esther, this incredible young woman, queen of Persia, who can be summed up in two words, world changer. Esther was a world changer, and she is so inspiring to all of us. This morning in particular, I'm excited because we're finally to chapter 4, And we have the opportunity to talk about one of the most, I think, incredible passages of Scripture. Today, we will cover this word that Mordecai, Esther's adoptive father, gives to her for such a time as this. And I was thinking, timing is everything, isn't it? It really is. I love the story about Harry. Harry was a young man that just loved living life. And he was on his way to church one morning, and he chose to take his two-seater sports car. Now, the weatherman had said that it was going to rain. But Harry wanted the thrill of the wind blowing in his face. So he put the top down, and he started out, And it didn't take long, and guess what? The weatherman was right. Started to sprinkle. He pulled over, he put the top up, and as he was driving by, he noticed at the bus stop were three of his friends. They were waiting to go to church. It was elderly Mrs. Fletcher. It was Dr. Jones, his GP. And it was Julia a girl that he had met at church and had only known a few weeks. 
Well, it's raining harder now, and they're at the bus stop waiting on the stop to get to church, and it's, it's raining, and it's starting to drizzle, it's chilly, and they're all three huddled under one umbrella. Harry wanted to be sweet. He wanted to be kind. So he was trying to think, what do I do? I only have one extra seat in my sports car. So momentarily, he thought, I've got it. And it was perfect, perfect timing. He pulled over. He threw the keys to Dr. Jones. He said, why don't you drive my car to church? He went around, opened the side passenger door, and he ushered Mrs. Fletcher in. And then, as they pulled away, he stood next to Julia and huddled under the umbrella with her. Now, who doesn't believe that timing is everything? Did you know this? Maybe you've heard it. There are 1,440 minutes in a day. There's 10,080 minutes in a week. There's 43,804 minutes in a month. And there's 525,600 minutes in a year. Did you know something that levels the playing ground for all of us is time? We all have the same amount of it. But I love what Michael Altshuler said. The bad news is time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. We are allowed by God certain blocks of time. And then he loves us so much that God lets us choose how we're going to use that time in our lives. That brings us to Esther. It's been about five years that Esther has been queen of Persia. She's living in the life of luxury. Her husband is King Xerxes. And she's in what would be described as a palace surrounded by a beautiful garden paradise. And Esther is is really protected. She's unaware of what our villain Haman has done. Have you forgotten who he is yet? Haman mm, hated the Jews, and he schemed a plot that was able to get the king's approval. And he had sent out an edict and it was royally declared because he was given the king's ring for this decree. It was stamped for all people in all provinces that on the same day, all the Jewish people would be annihilated and killed. That's where we pick up the story today. Hammond thinks his timing is perfect and he's finally going to be able to take revenge on the Jewish people, especially Mordecai, Esther's adopted father. Esther, though, she's tucked away in the kingdom. And this morning, I want to talk to you about three decisions 
perfect timing decisions that all world changers will be confronted with. If you know, and I hope you do by now, that God is calling you to be a world changer, if you know that, there are three decisions that we're all going to wrestle with, and we have, we have to decide, are we going to use our time wisely in a way that is a blessing to God and expands his kingdom, or not? What are we going to do? So I want to dive into Esther chapter 4, and we're going to begin with verses 1 through 5. Here we go. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes." When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Here's our first decision. Suffer in sackcloth for the right reasons. Now, isn't that a weird beginning for us. Suffer in sackcloth for the right reasons. Do you even know what sackcloth is? There's a whole history with this. And it was something very much a part of that culture in that day. Think about it. If you were in a dilemma, there was a health crisis, a difficulty. If there was some type of national crisis, especially if it touched your family, you might be prone to to clothe yourself in sackcloth. It was just a big, rough, think burlap bag, but it was made out of goat's hair. Every time you moved, it scratched you. It bugged you. It was a reminder that things were bleak. But to make it even worse, and I can't even imagine doing this, people took the ash from their fires, from their fire pits, their fireplace. And they, they put it on their bodies. They covered themselves in ash. Some people were so overwhelmed, they would literally sit in an ash heap. And here was the idea. If you were walking around clothed in sackcloth and ashes, it was more like the night of the living dead. It was a reminder to everybody that your soul was dying on the inside. Now, there's one more component, though. You're clothed in ash. You've got on this sackcloth, this burlap, itchy, scratchy, uncomfortable bag on your body. And then you're going to walk around wailing, mourning, screaming out. Well, that's what we're reading here. Mordecai was grieved. Esther's adoptive daughter or adopted father, she's, she's concerned about Mordecai because her attendants come to her and say, Hey, Mordecai 
is at the king's gate, and he's in sackcloth and ashes, crying, wailing, and mourning. Now just push pause a minute, okay? Just push pause. How in the world did all this really get back to Esther? She's protected. She's in a walled paradise garden, a palace. She has attendants all around her. Are you really saying, Esther, you didn't know about Haman's plot? I don't think she did yet. I really don't think she knew about Haman's plot. But I do know this, is that somehow she had communicated to people that Esther was special, or Mordecai was special to Esther. Don't forget what we learned last week. Mordecai had a seat at the gate. He would not bow down to Haman. But people knew who he was. And I think Esther's attendants, the eunuchs, were aware that, can we, can we do this? Can we call Mordecai a family friend? Now, we're not certain about these specific details, but what we do know is this. When Esther found out that Mordecai was in sackcloth and ashes, she didn't know why he was dressed this way, and she didn't know why he was upset, and she had to know. Regardless of the fact that no one else knew this was her dad, she had to know, why are you at the king's gate? He wouldn't be allowed in because of how he was dressed, but why was he dressed in this manner? Why was his soul broken? in sackcloth and ashes. Our first insight is a decision we have to make. Suffer in sackcloth for the right reasons. It's interesting to me that God's heart can be broken by people who draw attention to themselves Inviting everyone to notice their grief for the wrong reasons. Think about it. There, there is a kind of people that I call the wounded warrior sinful victim. Now you, you look at me and you go, Pastor, that's not very nice. You're not, you're not being very understanding. Why would you call people possibly that are victims sinful. Well, I'm not saying all people who are victimized are sinful. Please, listen to exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are people who put on the wounded warrior outfit who want everyone to know how bad their life really is. And they go around trying to solicit everyone's pity. Now, the opposite of that is what I would call the suffering servant. And again, don't say to me, Pastor, that, that title's only res reserved for the suffering servant of Isaiah that we would know is actually Jesus. No, I think there are suffering servants throughout God's word. Mordecai was a suffering servant. He was in great calamity over what had been happening because of Haman. 
that all of the Jewish people are going to be killed because Mordecai doesn't want to bow down and pay homage to Haman? No. No, this is Haman's, this is Haman's plot. This is Haman's anger. This is evil in Haman's heart. We're told that Esther doesn't know it yet. Literally, we're told that she was in great distress. The Hebrew meaning is to be exceedingly in pain. Listen, hear me, grab this. We need to mourn with those who mourn. If someone you love is in pain, we need to demonstrate comfort and care. There's no doubt. But, but hear me on this one. Too many people are wounded warriors and they are sinful victims of their own self-inflicted wounds. And instead of, instead of embracing what the issue or the problem is, they want other people to feel sorry for them. This isn't what God has called us to. We need to suffer in sackcloth for the right reasons. Corey Ten Boom, I quote her often. If you track with us, you know that she is a hero of the faith for me. She once said, when I was in a prison camp in Holland during the war, I often prayed, Lord, never let the enemy put me in a German concentration camp. God answered no to that prayer. Yet in the German camp, with all its horror, I found many prisoners who had never heard of Jesus Christ. If God had not used my sister Betsy and me to bring them to him, they would never have heard of him. Many died or were killed, but many died with the name of Jesus on their lips. They were well worth all our suffering. Let me say it again. They were well worth all our suffering. And if you know her story, her sister Betsy died in the concentration camp. Please hear me. We will all suffer. We will all go through difficulties and problems. We're all going to find ourselves dealing with issues and struggles. But can I just challenge you? World changers don't become sinful victims of their own self-inflictions. Instead, we must suffer in sackcloth for the right reasons, which leads to Esther chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. So, Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave them a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Let me give you this second decision world changers will be confronted with again and again. Character must always win over comfort. Wow, this is huge. Where we're headed is huge. This is not for the faint of heart. Those of you listening online, hear me. Church, grab this one and hold it close to your chest. Character must always win over comfort. When I read this story, I realize something immediately about Mordecai's character. 
he tells the eunuch Hathak exactly what happened. In fact, the wording in Scripture in the New International is everything that had happened to him. He gave all the details, but watch this. He proved what was happening by giving him the copy of the edict. I think Esther would have believed her dad. But you know what? You know what? There, there's, there's at times where our own children don't believe us. Our family or friends deny what we tell them is truth. It can be heartbreaking. But you know what Mordecai did? Mordecai was going to deal in facts. He even knew, and I think it's because Haman bragged about it. He, he knew that Haman had offered a bribe in exactly how much. And what he did was, he said to Hathak, he said, listen, you, you're the messenger to Esther. It, when, when, when Mordecai talked to him, to this eunuch, it was like talking to Esther herself. He couldn't go, there, there was, this wasn't a go-between. This wasn't a go-around. This was Esther's messenger. And so, what does Mordecai do? He gives the facts and only the facts. Character must always win over comfort. And two insights jump off the page for me. Here's the first. The foundation of character is truth, not hearsay. This is a hard one today, even for, should I say especially for, followers of Jesus. Now grab it, buckle up. I know you may not want to hear it, but here's, here's my question to you. Do you care more about what a friend or family member tells you? Do you care more about that than you care about the truth? Now I'm not saying a family member or friend can't tell you the truth. They can. But how do we know it's the truth? How are we going to know exactly what's taking place? We're constantly bombarded by the spin today. It's not uncommon for people to justify listening to gossip. I just listen to what somebody said. Oh, you did? You did? Would you want me to just listen to what people said about you without saying a word, especially if it's not true? Should I at least ask the question, how do you know? I love this about Mordecai. Did you pick it up? He, he's not even going to assume his daughter is going to believe him. He gives proof. Why? Because thousands and thousands of lives are at stake. Do you and I realize this? That one lie can kill an entire person's reputation. I was thinking about this in my own life. Man, as a pastor, I've had people lie about me. I just want to be clear about it. And when I was pastoring in Pennsylvania, a guy came into my office, which I appreciated. He said, I need to ask you something face to face. I said, okay. He said, are you stealing money from the church? Before I even answered, I needed a context. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, this is what I heard. Well, someone said to me, I said, mm-mm, no, no. I said, tell me who said it. You know what? Lies and gossips usually start with, well, I can't tell you. Yes, you can. If you and I care more about integrity, character over comfort, we're going to say who said it to us. Because reputations are at stake. This, this young man, someone I had led to Christ, he said, this is who told me. And then lovingly, I explained the situation. 
But then I followed with this. Would you like to see the church books? Would you like to see the finances of the church? I have no secrets. I'll show you that not one dime has been taken. And you can talk to our bookkeeper and find out. You know what he said to me? Pastor, you wouldn't be willing to say that to me if you were stealing money. I said, no, I wouldn't. But then I said, I have a question for you. Are you going to go back and, and hold this person accountable for, for telling a lie about your pastor? No answer. No answer. I loved it. When I came here, I hadn't hardly been here any time at all. I, I might have been here maybe five or six weeks. And someone said, I was using profanity from the pulpit, from, from the stage, from this stage, that I was cussing. Someone came to me and said, Pastor, I've been told this, and we record our messages, always have. I've gone back and listened, and, and, and you didn't do it. I said, okay. So I waited for the perfect timing, perfect timing from God. And I had the opportunity to talk to this couple, but Here's what happened in the meantime. This couple had gone to their friends and had shared that I was a potty mouth. So then I, I finally was able to say, so I understand you think that I cuss from the pulpit. Here's what I heard. Pastor, we know now you didn't do it. We're so sorry. I said, forgiven, forgiven. But I said, I also know that you were spreading the rumor that I was a potty mouth. I said, are you gonna go back to your friends and tell them you were the one that told an untruth? No answer. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but I know this. None of us can escape the temptation to, to tell, can I put it this way, less than the truth. But the but, but what we have to understand is this. The foundation of character is truth, not hearsay. Not hearsay. Make a decision today to be like Mordecai. Don't listen to hearsay and gossip. That's just wounded, wounded warriors, sinful victims who are trying to shore up wrong decisions. They're everywhere. Be a person with character over comfort. But here's something else that jumped off the, the page. The focus of character is we, not me. Did you catch that Mordecai was most concerned about the Jewish people? He wasn't just concerned about the Jewish people in Susa. World changers understand that the focus of character is we, not me. When people are selfish, they don't care about God's kingdom. They certainly don't care about God's church, and they don't care at all about God's people, not really. They care more about their own feelings, their family or friends. Listen, true followers of Christ, biblical followers of God, care more not about the me, they care about the we. They care about what happens to all of us. Mordecai knew that thousands of lives were at stake. It was time to risk his own life and to ask Esther to do the same, which leads us to the third decision found in Esther 4, 9 through 17. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. 
Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the, the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you were in the king's house, you alone and all of the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or, eat or drink for three days, uh, nights, uh, three days, night or day. I and all my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went ahead, went away, and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Here's, here's our third Decision. All world changers will be confronted with this. The time is now to speak up and stand firm. This story is, is incredible, really. This is an incredible story. Because in a nutshell, let me just lay it out for us. Mordecai explains all that's going on and, and says, Esther, I need you to go and speak to the king on the behalf of, of your people, on behalf of the Jewish people. I really believe this. I think Esther responded to Mordecai as a daughter first and not as a queen. Can I put it this way for us? Hathik comes, comes and says, the queen is concerned. She, she says this to you, Mordecai. Dad, you know the rule. If I go to the king without being summoned, I can die. I will die. Unless he extends his golden scepter, his royal stick. If he doesn't ex extend it to me, they just take me out and kill me. And you, just so you know, it's been 30 days since I've seen the king. I don't know that this is going to go well. Dad, his plate is full, and you're asking me to do this? I think that is a daughter response to her dad. But you know what, Mordecai, Mordecai's not callous. Don't you think for a minute that Mordecai's callous toward his daughter. But he sees a bigger picture. He cares about his daughter because here's what he knows. He knows that if all the Jews are killed, she's going to be killed too. She's not going to escape this because it's a royal decree. I, th I think Xerxes will be heartbroken if it happens. But Xerxes can't go against his decree and just break it for Esther. Mordecai, Mordecai realizes now is the time to speak up and stand firm. World changers... If you're listening to my voice, hear me on this. 
You and I don't usually know the exact moment that God is going to say, world changer time, stand up, lean in, speak up. We don't know when it's going to happen. But we know when the moment is right. Because timing is everything. We know when we need to do it. But you know what? We're all afraid. We all struggle with fear. It's, it's maybe not the fear Esther had, but we all struggle with fear. But true world changers don't mess around. And Mordecai didn't. He says to Esther, this is the royal text that she needed to hear as a queen. Hathak goes back and says, this is what Mordecai is saying. Don't think for a minute that, that you're the only person who can do this. Now remember, remember, God, we feel like, has been silent. I really believe this is Mordecai indicating to Esther through a eunuch loyal to the king. I think he is saying to her, Esther, God can get anybody to do the job he wants but he's chosen you. If you're a world changer, and I've asked myself this question, man, I've asked myself this question. Have I missed world-changing moments because of I wanted uh, comfort over character? Have I missed world-changing moments because uh, I, I, I knew it was the right time to speak up, but I didn't want to do it? I'm thankful for God's grace, but remember, God has a plan. God has a vision. we got to get out of our own way. What about Esther? Are you on the edge of your seat? What about Esther? Esther, in a moment's notice, makes up her mind. I'll do it. She went from daughter to queen. I'll do it. I'm going to be the queen that I'm called to be. I realize the reason that I'm in this moment. And so Mordecai, not dad, Mordecai, if I die, I die. But I'm going to do this. Listen, hold on to this. Esther, speak now or forever hold your peace. Be faithful to your people and to God or you will perish. Whatever you do, don't think you're the only one God can empower. God can send relief from somewhere else if he refuse to speak up and stand firm. But you will have missed your God moment. The very reason God placed you in this post as queen. And whatever you do, Esther, don't make up your mind before you ever try to talk to him. Oh, oh, I want to preach it right here. How many people decide not to be a follower of Jesus, a person of character and integrity, a person who wants to be a world changer? How many people decide before they ever do anything that it's not going to work? Well, it's not going to work. I can't talk to that person. I, I, I know how I'm going to be treated. That person, listen, that's all, that's all sinful victim stuff. No, even if it doesn't go well, we got to be like Esther. 
If I die, I die. I'm going to do the right thing because this is why God has placed me here. Can I give you two insights that just are incredible to me? To be a world changer for God, you and I must take the risk and believe that God has called you for such a time as this. You've got to believe that God has called you. Now, to solidify your moment in time, this is the place, this is the big moment in Esther's story where we realize God is present. Not by name, but what does she say to Mordecai? Go tell everybody to fast. Go tell everybody to fast. Uh, what is fasting? Giving up food? That's what they were doing. They were going to give up food for three days. But what, what is it? It's more than that. It's also a change of attitude. Focusing on God and God alone. You and I have to understand that we are called by God to take the risk and believe that God has called us to such a time as this. And you know what? Hear me on this one too, church. Please grab this. I love you. You're amazing. I know you get this, but I need to just put it out on the table that world changers know God's called them to change the world, but it doesn't mean it's easy. And in that moment is when we lean into God instead of leaning into our own fears or what we think could happen. We're going to trust God. Here's another, and, and it's the last thought. To be a world changer for God, you and I must take the risk and do the right thing for God has called you for such a time as this. Not only do you have to believe it, but you have to know that you're called to it now. I, I can't help but think every day lately of my father-in-law, Bob Yoder, Kay's dad. He was older when I asked him this question. We were driving back from dropping my oldest daughter, Melissa, off at the airport. We were driving back, and some reason, I said to Bob, what's your favorite passage in the Bible? Bob was such a committed follower of Christ. I said, what's your favorite passage in the Bible? It blew me away. This man knew the Word of God backwards and forwards. He'd been teaching it for decades. And he blew me out of the water. He said, for such a time as this, I, I'm driving, I look over, he's just quiet. I go, Dad, why, why that passage for such a time as this? He goes, well, let me tell you a story nobody knows. He said, when our church was trying to grow, I knew that we would need more land at some point. And a piece of property came available. And so I bought it. And I gave it to the church with only one stipulation. If and when you have the money, just give me back what I paid for the property. Years and years and years later, the church grew to hundreds and hundreds of people. Guess where? On that piece of property. And my father-in-law looked at me and he said, Drew, 
Too many times we think of God moments in little ways. We can't ever judge the impact of a God moment. All we can do is stand up and do what God's called us to do in that moment. That's why I love the passage. It's my passage for such a time as this. We're going to close this morning, and I've got several closing thoughts for us. The first is this. Are you and I people of character enough that if we need to go and right some untruthful wrongs, will we go do it this week? Will we humble ourselves, apologize, seek God's mercy and grace, and ask for forgiveness? Or if someone is talking to us and it's not based on the facts, are we willing to stop making assumptions and start bringing love, agape love, and accountability to the situation? Another thought has come to my mind is, are you in the middle of a, of a, for such a time as this moment? Are we as a ministry in a moment for such a time as this? And I think we are. It's easy to walk away, complain, and tell half-truths, which are lies. Are we willing to really step up and step in? So here is a challenge that I have for all of us tomorrow on Monday. I'm asking every single person who considers Bridgewater Church his or her home, or if you're a friend of our church, to fast on Monday. Fast this Monday. Go without food. How about this? If you can't do that, go without your phone for a day. Go without TV for a day. Get away from all electronics. It doesn't matter. What matters is what is God telling you. Let's fast and ask God for breakthroughs. And lastly, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will help us step up. Listen, listen. When we're afraid, when we're nervous, when we know we're going to be uncomfortable, Let's decide to be like Mordecai and Esther. And let this be our for such a time as this moment. Because here's what I know. Long before Bob Yoder ever knew that I was going to be his son-in-law, before he ever knew me, by creating that ministry, buying that property with pastor and leaders, it impacted my life. And it's impacting your life for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. God, this is huge. This, is, this chapter is huge. It's jam-packed. God, give us the faith to do the right thing. If we're going to suffer, let us suffer as servants of the living God. Help us to, to say the right thing, do the right thing. And God, when we are overwhelmed with grief and despair, God, surround us with people not who will simply nurse our wounds, but who will empower us to be men and women 
of faith. World changers. God, I pray for these world changers today that we would get out of our comfort zones and be men and women of character that will give you glory and honor and expand your kingdom. God, help us to understand our God moment for such a time as this. And may you be lifted up. And as we fast and pray together tomorrow on Monday, God, we ask that breakthroughs come. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you so much. You're a world changer. Don't forget it. It's not easy, but it is the most incredible adventure. Trust God, and I'll see you soon. Hey, friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below, and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners, and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast, and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world.